Well, good morning, church. Open your copy of God's Word to Isaiah to be able to continue in a, in a series that has been pretty weighty. We're in summer baggage as we wrap up the, the summer. We're hitting some topics that, that are maybe, maybe uncomfortable for some of us to, to talk about. For others, there are very specific things that we are weighed down by, areas in our life that we think is just normal and that this is just the way it is. And we've looked at a, a few topics of being weighed down with some baggage of fear, anxiety, worry. We've looked at doubt and, and despair for different ones of us. We're, we're carrying different baggage, but we, we all have baggage. That's the bottom line. We're all carrying something. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got baggage. You got baggage. Let them know. You got baggage. And, and it's our choice. It's our decision to be able to say, I'm not carrying this anymore. I'm done. I can't keep going on this way. I need something different. I want to live light even though the things that I choose to carry are weighing me, weighing me down. And today, if you've got, you got an outline, you've got your copy of God's Word open to Isaiah 42. We're going to get some context. We're going to be looking at just a few verses in Isaiah 43. But today is, is this. We're looking at the topic of waiver baggage. And for some of us, like, waiver what? That's why we're going to explain it. That's why we're going to explain it, all right? So for some of us, wavering has been a, a way of life. And I don't know if that's been your story, um, but we got baggage problem wavering. What's the biblical promise? Because this whole series is not so much about our baggage. It's about God's promises that are going to set us free and allow us to live light. God has promised some things. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that? God has promised some things and there's no way that we can believe promises that we're ignorant of, that we don't know. There's no way that we can fully, confidently trust in a promise if we don't know what God has actually promised. Well, here's one. There's a guarantee. There's a promise. God says that He is watching, that He is always watchful, that He is always looking on, that He sees everything. Do you believe that God knows everything? Do you believe that God is everywhere and that He's able to see everything even the even the areas of hurt in your heart that nobody else knows about the things that you're still carrying decade after decade that that nobody else knows but god knows god sees the things that we tend to do in darkness that we think we're going to get away with and that we can cover up and lie and deceive that god sees so whether it's things done to us or things that we are doing that we shouldn't be that god sees and here's the bold proclamation for today here is a bold everybody say bold i will not waver I will not waver. I'm going to live a life where I am not wavering. Well, if I'm committed to a resolution of not wavering, I better know, like, what does wavering even mean? Like, what, what do we have in mind? If I'm not supposed to do something, if I'm committed to not wavering, what is, what is this waver talk you're saying, preacher man? Well, here we go. Wavering, wavering, hesitating or shifting as a result of indecision, oscillating back and forth and back and forth to vacillate irresolutely between choices, back and forth, teetering, I love this. Shilly-shallying. There, there's a new word. Stick that in your pocket, right? Put that in your pipe and smoke it. We, we got new words for this trouble of wavering. Oscillating, vacillating, fluctuating, up and down, hot and cold, faltering, halting, stalling out, veering off course, uncertain, swinging, hemming and hawing. Now there we go. Fluttering, ebbing and flowing, yo-yoing, uncommitted, unresolved. Is that you? And for some of us, we have lived a life that has been so unpredictable, that has been so inconsistent, that it's all we know. And I don't know about you, but I think we need to hear maybe some truth today that you don't have to live high highs, low lows. You don't have to live 
back and forth and up and down and and Jesus, I'm in. And then, no, no, I'm actually out. And, and like, I'm fully committed until tomorrow morning. And then I'm not sure how I'm going to feel. For some of us, that's all we know. And today, you could say, I'm done. I'm done with that. I'm done living a lukewarm, half-hearted, led by my emotions. I'm done with that. So what's the opposite of wavering? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Because like on the, on the tip of your tongue, you're like, preacher dude. Tell me, what's the opposite? What would it look like if I didn't live a life like this? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Take the plunge. I'm all in. I'm completely focused. I'm building momentum. I'm resolute. I'm relentless in my commitment of one target, one goal, and nothing can get me off track. Do you think that God's maybe calling each one of us to live that way for Jesus? I mean, that's why you were created. That's why you've been rescued if you're a Christian. That's what you're on the earth for is to not waver any longer to be all in, both feet deep in, taking the faith plunge and saying, I'm not going back to the way that it used to be. I'm not living there any longer. Isaiah, Isaiah's got some things for us about this topic. A little bit of context. God's describing how his people have failed and they've faltered and they have flopped again and again and again. We could say all throughout history, God's people have always been a wavering people. A wavering people, hot and cold, and in and out and committed, and then abandoned the call on their life. And, and here's what the prophet Isaiah says. Just I'm going to jump around a little bit. I just want to give some background. Isaiah 42:18. Hear, you deaf. Hear. Listen. Listen, you deaf. Look. Look, you blind. What? What? He's calling them out. And God's message is that you may see, that you may have your eyes open to see. Verse 22. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them, they're trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue. Nobody's coming to the rescue. Spoil with none to say, restore, restore what was lost. Nobody, nobody's there. Verses 24 and 25, Isaiah 42. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderer? Was it, was it not the Lord? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Bad things happening to God's people, judgment happening to God's people by God, by God himself. He's the one bringing this against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, whose law they would not obey. Was it not God that brought this upon them? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle, and it set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, and he did not take it to heart. God's people were in trouble. Do you believe today, maybe as God's people, the church, that we're, that we're in trouble, that we're not seeing what God is calling us to see? We're not listening to what God is calling us to, to hear, and God has something to say about that. But the big question we have to ask is, it's not an Israel problem. It's not a that church problem. It's, it's a me problem. I'm like that. I'm like that. I'm in and out and hot and cold and up and down. I am, I am on fire one day and bucket of cold water the next. And God has some things for us that may be a little unexpected. Do you see that we're starting a new chapter here? Turn the corner, Isaiah 43. Are you there? Isaiah 43, verse 1. Track with me. But now, thus says the Lord, even though there's trouble, even though there's judgment, what, what now? Thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who created you, God's people, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, fear not. Lift up your voice and say, fear not, fear not, fear not. For I, God says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. If you're taking notes, jot this down. I have called you by name. You are mine. I know I got really creative with this outline. I have no idea where that, that first point came from, but 
as we, as we look at verse 1, God's calling repentant sinners to come home based on what? Based on their identity that God will not abandon His children no matter how far, no matter the wavering, no matter the mischief, no matter the rebellion. And I, I don't know the last time you thought, God knows my name. God sees everything. God knows me. God created me. He, he calls me to come home, to be His. Maybe for the first time. I don't know this morning. If, if you don't have a relationship with God, today could be the day that you hear His voice of, I know you by name. You are mine starting today. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, He has never abandoned. He has never left. He has seen it all and He has not gone anywhere, right? That He knows us by name. Do we believe that? That He sees and He doesn't turn His back and He doesn't reject us and He doesn't, he doesn't look at us with a frown, but there is an embrace that will not let go. And we watch the history of Israel over and over again of who could love a people like that? Our God. Only our God. And He is a lover of His children. He has redeemed. That's what He does, right? He does not reject, but instead He redeems. Anybody want to know what's up with redemption? What, what is this word, redemption? It, it's a churchy word, so we need some definitions for, for churchese, Christianese. Okay? we got some talk uh, among the church. Okay, Definition time. Everybody say, I need a definition. Even if you don't, you can lie in churches just this once. All right? just, I need this. I need this. Okay. Redemption, redemption. My God comes with the wealth of His riches and He buys me out of the slavery of sin and He makes me His own. Isn't that awesome? I don't know how you've thought about redemption in the past or to be redeemed. My God comes with the wealth of His riches and buys me out of slavery, out of slavery of sin, and He makes me His, his own. And throughout, throughout history, we, we have horrific scenes of, of slave owners and slave auctioneers and purchasing people. And there's been different seasons throughout different nations throughout the history of either buying certain types of people, nationalities, all the way to buying uh, women for prostitution, to buying slaves for purposes of using them as animals, and to think, we choose to go into slavery. We choose to stay in slavery. And Jesus is the one saying, that, that's not used goods. She's mine. He's mine. Never to go back in slavery again. To be freed. To have a new master that is good. Because God is so good to buy us back with the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 43, verse 2. Here we go. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt, and the flame shall not consume you. Write this down. When you, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. A few weeks back, we talked about that anxiety and fear and worry. So much of it is that we feel alone and we feel so uncertain about the future. And to remember the promise, the promise of God is what? That He is he's with us. That He's with us. Do you love the fact that in July and August, that all year round that we can celebrate Christmas because we know Emmanuel, God, with us. And we love the fact that Jesus incarnate has come and to remember that no matter where we are, that God is he's, he's with you. He's with you. I'm with you, He says. That's His promise. You are never, ever alone. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not alone. Let Him know. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. I don't, I don't know who needs encouragement this week, but maybe this could be a week 
where you make it a, a commitment every single day, right? Set your alarm, have a little memo, and be praying about opportunities for those that you know that are close by, those that are near you that, that you know that they feel like, I'm all alone. I'm all alone. Nobody understands me. Nobody gets it. Nobody knows my pain. Nobody knows what's going on. And that you can make that phone call, that you can send that message, that you can sit down with somebody. Do you know how powerful it is to be able to, to say, you're not alone. You're not alone. You don't have to say, I totally understand you. I totally get you. Because we don't, we don't understand what everybody's going through. But do you know the number of times as a pastor that I felt like, I, I am so done with this. I cannot do this. I, I quit. I quit. The number of times that someone has texted me, called me, has stopped by and said, John, you're not alone. I'm here. God's always here when I'm not, but I am for you. But more importantly, God's for you. God is He's for you and you're not alone. Do you know what happens in your, in your time of wavering of is this even worth it? And I don't even know if I believe this and I, I don't know if it's really worth me sacrificing and giving in my time, my talent, my treasure to be able to, to do this Jesus thing, to do this church thing, this ministry thing that somebody near you just needs to hear, you're not alone. I see you. God sees you. And to rescue someone out of darkness to be God's hands and God's feet to provide hope. That's powerful. Everybody say that's powerful. It's powerful not just to know in your head that God's with you, but to experience it and to have God's people say, I'm here. I'm representing Emmanuel, God, with you and for you. Number three, write this down. And through the rivers, he says, just that imagery of pass through the waters, more imagery of raging rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. God will give you more than you can handle. I don't know what you've been taught in the past, the reality is you're going to go through seasons, probably more than one, where, God, I can't handle this. You've given me too much. This is too heavy. This is lasting too long. And the reality is God does give us a crushing weight. God does bring us through seasons where like, we are at the end. We are overcome, overwhelmed. That's really bad news, but here's the good news. God will give you more than you can handle, but you will not go under. You will not go under. It feels like you're drowning. Have you been there? I feel like I'm drowning in my, my to-do list all the way to I feel like I'm drowning in despair and depression. I'm drowning in my anxiety. I'm drowning in anger, and I'm so frustrated and irritated and irritable. I'm drowning here, and I'm going under, and there is no rescue, and I don't know how long I can hold my breath. And if you haven't been there, you will soon. And I want you to recall Isaiah 43. It's not going to overcome you. It's not going to overtake you. You will not be overcome by this. No matter what you face, no matter what you're up against, God guarantees that you will pass through to the other side. Isn't that good news? Everybody say that's good news. I'm going to pass through. I'm going to get to the other side of this. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But I'm getting to the other side. And it's not by my strength, not by my wisdom. God, you're all I got and you're all I need, and I'm going to get to the other side. Do you know what's amazing? Is that God's people throughout history have been called lots of things. Isaiah just said, O Jacob, right? Here, O Israel. Multiple names for God's people. Do you know that after God's people passed through the river and got to the other side, do you know that from that point forward, there was a term 
that was used for God's people. Anybody know what it is? They were now known as the Hebrew people. Those Hebrews. Those, those Hebrews. Because they were rescued. And literally, Hebrews means those that pass through to the other side. God's people had a name that identified who they were, not based on their character, not based on their track record, but based on a God who carries them through to the other side when it was impossible, when there was no way. God ensures that His people make it to the other side. This is wild to me because for many of us, we really don't see the other side and we can't imagine a life on the other side. We just think like it's always going to be like this. It's always going to be like this. Just more and more of this. I don't know if you're familiar with Groundhog's Day, but some of us go through seasons where we feel like Bill Murray of like the nightmare of really again and again and again and repeating is like, I don't know if I can wake up another time and go through another day like I do every single day. But God's people have been people that that God takes through, carries through to the other side. So I, I just had some thoughts about this. What, what we do when we don't go through, and better stated is, what do you do when you won't go through? Because going through is going through the scary stuff. It's trusting God to actually like stay the course and not waver. And here's a couple things. Well, if, if we are people that go through, but we don't live according to our identity, some of us, we know people maybe like this, you could just write down goners, goners. Some people go in and they never come out. They go in and they never come out. What, whatever happened to them? Whatever happened to that couple? What happened to that family? Do you remember so-and-so that they used to like be faithful, committed to God's people and gathering together and then gone? They went into a season and they never, they never came out. Goners. How about, how about this? And maybe this, is, this could describe you. Maybe this is your track record of arounders work with me okay okay it's all right we're, we're creating some some new some new words all right for some of us i know god is telling me be faithful be committed continue forward and guess what i'm not going to continue going through this i'm i'm going to do an end around i'm going to do a work around i'm i'm going to choose a different path a different way that seems right to me it's more comfortable seems a little safer right that i'm going to do it my way I don't want to sit here and wait for God to do his thing. I've waited long enough. I'm going around. I'm going around. A rounder. Are you, are you an arounder? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But I just wrote down, arounders, always darting for the detour. Fools, always looking for the shortcut. Away around the hard stuff. Allergic to faith. Around. Always around. Always around. How about this? Freezers. Freezers. Fear. Paralyzing. Frozen. I can't do this. I can't make a decision. I don't know what to do. I don't trust God. I trust me, but I can't even trust me. Anxiety, 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 frozen freezers. I was going to say planters. I don't know if that name would fit. Like they plant their butt and say, I'm not moving anywhere because I'm scared to death. We're going to go with freezer. Okay, good, good. All right, what about this? Maybe, maybe this is you. How about freakers? Freakers. I'm freaking out right now. I can't even think. Panic, attack, anxious, always in motion, busy body, doing something but never actually making progress along the way. And for some of us, that's all we know is our whole life is chasing our own tail, busy about much, but not about God's work or the mission. And we are freaking all the time. And how about this? Lastly, I don't know if this is you, controllers. Controllers. Constantly planning, manipulating, fleshly, navigating the obstacle course of life 
to try to have personal desired outcome manufactured by a sense of demand, control, and pride. Controller, controller. And could I say that all of those could identify any of us at any given time, right? For some, maybe you say, well, that list actually describes last week. That, that describes my whole week. I just, I just bounce from one to another. Well, here's, here's where God is calling us. God's people have always been throughers. God's people throughout history have always said, this is the course. This is God's will. This is God's way. I'm submitting to God's timing. I'm going through it. Even if it costs me everything, no matter what God has to do, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to stay put. I'm going to keep moving forward by faith. I'm going through. I love that. The Hebrew people, God's people, throughers. Right? Number four, write this down. He concludes with this. When you walk through fire, he gives this imagery of fire, right? You will not be burned. You will not be burned. Does that provoke any, any kind of imagery for some of us? Maybe like if we had a little bit of Sunday school in our background, we'd no show of hands, but some of us could tell the story of, of Daniel and we think of Daniel 3 and Daniel had three buddies. I don't know if you remember. We had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sure everybody's got a nickname for those three if you grew up in, in church. Think about the, the call from Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to say there is this idol, there is this statue everybody bow down forsake whatever god that you worship before and it's going to cost you not just a little something it's going to cost you your life if you refuse to bow the knee and guess what these three crazy dudes are like not doing it not happening and i just think this is so wild that as the music is playing as the idol is raised up for nebuchadnezzar to see these three punk teenagers that just are they're stubborn and they won't bow, and they won't give in, and they're not willing to compromise. They're willing to go through. And guess what? They knew what the cost was. They knew what it was going to cost them. And so frustrated Nebuchadnezzar was that he did what with the furnace? Anybody remember? It wasn't just your average temperature of burning flesh quickly. So angry, so frustrated, seven times. We're cranking it up seven times. And what we read in Daniel 3 is that uh, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar that brought these boys up to the furnace, what happened to them? Uh, torched, died on the spot. Everybody say that's pretty hot. It, it, it's pretty hot. You, you, get with, you get within a quarter mile and you're sizzling, right? You're, you're fried to the core. They're done. The boys continue on. Nebuchadnezzar is smiling, smirking in the background. What happens? I, uh, Daniel 3, 24 through 28. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, astonished, right? He rose up and it says in haste, like the dude booked it running towards this area where he's looking on of the furnace. And he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into this fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. I love that. True, true, word. Yes, 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 we did actually. And he answered, but I see four men and they're unbound. They're walking around in the midst of the fire. What do you think, what kind of conversation is going on in the midst of this inferno? They're not even hurt. The appearance of the fourth, the only way they could describe it is like, this is like a, the son of, uh, of gods. There's a God in there. Guess what? There was not a God in there. There was the God. Uh, a Christophany, fancy word for Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. He appears in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the servants of the Most High God. They come out as they're called out. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the fire. What happened? Everybody, right? Governors, counselors, everybody's rallying together. They saw 
that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads, not even singe. Anybody smell burning hair before? Burning flesh? They've smelt it before. Not on these guys. Their cloaks, not harmed. No smell of fire even came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel, delivered his saints. We're talking Jesus coming to rescue, who trusted in him, set aside the king's command, yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Do you know why three bold, faith-filled boys would be willing to do that? Because there was promises made and they knew the promise. And guess what they did with the promise? They, they thought, oh, we weren't paying attention in Sunday school during that. They knew the promise. They knew it so well, they banked their life on the promise because they said, our God will rescue. And if he doesn't, we perish serving our God. If we die, we die. If we live, we know he's able to rescue. Guess what? We're going we're gonna to take the gamble. We're going to go in because we trust a promise that was made of a God that cannot fail. And today, you better believe that there is a call on each of our lives. Don't just know the promise. Believe it. Risk your life on it. All in. Fully committed. No turning back. No matter what happens. Even in the midst of fear of death itself. Moving forward in faith. There are promises that God has made that make otherwise weak, insecure, fearful individuals bold to even walk in to their known death for the name of this God. I don't know where you're at, but thinking throughout history what God has done with those that would say yes and go all the way into the fire, all the way through the storm because there's a promise that you're going to get to the other side because God's watching. He sees, He knows, and He is committed to His purpose in your life well, what are some things that, that we struggle with in trusting God, trusting His promises? Why would we maybe have some problems with God is watching, God is watching? Well, here's a few. If you're going to write some things down, here's some God's watching myths. Maybe some things growing up, I don't know about you, but maybe there's some things picked up either from TV, movies, or some really bad Sunday school teacher at some point um, got, you, got you off whack thinking about God sees everything, okay? So here we have, what is God like? Well, when I think about God watching, maybe sometimes we, we think about a policing parent. Like, oh yeah, I know God's watching. Just like my mom's like always watching and just always is like bugging me about everything and she sees everything. It's like, I don't want to follow a God like that. I don't want to follow a trust like that. I'm like always policing, always calling me out, seeing everything, always getting caught. Well, I, I was reading through Zephaniah 3, being brought back to this verse, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He does see everything. He is a rescuer. He will he'll do this. He's not policing you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Everybody say that's awesome. There is a God that that isn't looking just to drop the hammer and catch you in the act. There's a God that sees everything and he delights in his children and he sings over them. I mean, we got to, we got to kick off uh, our time, right? With singing praises, loud shouts of joy and singing and to think, do you know how much God delights in his children? He sings over his children. I don't know if, if you've ever been in a scenario where whether with maybe you have kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever it is, little cousins, and you're just like, they're just so awesome. 
until they turn into really, really nasty sinners, right? As they grow up, they, but when they're young and cute and adorable and amazing, right? Especially when they're sleeping and not making any noise, right? And not destroying things or breaking things. And to just be able to like stand over it, be like, it's so awesome. And the heart of God, the father heart of God, of delighting in his children, not, not policing over them and just waiting to catch them. How about, how about this one? Maybe we have a bad attitude towards God watching us because we think, is he like a hunting hawk? I don't know, maybe some of us have watched too many like National Geographic or, or too many episodes uh, of like you got Shark Week or maybe, maybe Birds of Prey and you're like can barely watch and you got one eye open of the hawk coming in for the, for the kill. Is God like that? Like he's just up in the perch and like talons out ready to pounce the moment that you you do something wrong well psalm 103 14 psalm 103 14 he doesn't look on us as something to destroy or devour it says god knows our frame he he knows our makeup he he knows our struggles he knows our weaknesses he remembers that we are dust he looks on us with compassion not with talons of rage and he strengthens the weak he doesn't attack them. How about this? And I, and I know I'm going to get some emails and some phone calls, okay? Try, try to hold back, right? But depending on our experience in, in church, maybe you're like, well, so God sees everything. Is he kind of like that crotchety, like, church lady that just, like, every time she walks by or every time she walks behind, she's always, like, grabbing an ear or smacking a head or, or wagging the finger? Like, God's like that, right? Like, sees everything and just always, nah, 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 nah. Hell! hell, that's where you're going. Like, is God like that? Is God like that? Because remember that crotchety old church lady? She was like, man, like, I don't want to sit next to her. She smells like mothballs. I just like, I just don't want, she's just always angry and frustrated and hates children. And so maybe for some of us, we grew up thinking about like our church experience of, I mean, man, is God like that? Is God like that? God, God's not like that. Okay. Turn your name and say, God's not like that. He's not like that. Here we go. How about a correcting coach? I, I don't know what your experience has been with, with coaching, but I think sometimes it's just like, well, is God just like harsh and angry and like more wind sprints and, and running hills and pushing us till we puke and, and just trying to like destroy us, right? And two a days every day. That's the Christian life. I don't, I don't know what type of coach. I've had coaches where the best player on the team is just killing it. And there is always something to get chewed out for. And no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, no matter how you perfect your craft and your skill, that you are going to get chewed out, cussed out, never enough, never satisfied. But every coach would say, well, it's all done in love. It's all done in love. Well, yeah, talk, talk to the third grader about the feelings of love from his coach, right? But the reality is, is, is God like that? Like never satisfied and always frustrated and irritated. You're doing it wrong again. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it. Give me more. Give me more. Well, how about this? It, I, don't know, I don't know your history of bosses, but have you had a vicious boss? Have you had a, a vicious boss that like every, every time, well, the boss sees everything, right? And daggers of like, got caught again, right? Like, how long were you in the bathroom? And how long was your lunch? And did you get it done? Did you get it done? And it's not the way I said, you're fired. You're fired. I'm done with you. Reject. And, and for some of us, we... We think about people that watch us, that see what we're doing, and we say, well, God's got to be kind of like that. Well, here's the reality. We have some answers of what God is like, that he sees everything. Here we go. 
There is a phrase throughout Scripture of the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord. It's, a, it's an awesome phrase, and it's repeated over and over again. Here, here's a few ways that this phrase is used to give us a perspective that God is watching. God is watching. Everybody say, God is watching. God is watching. He's, he's watching. Here's, here's one way. His gaze, his eyes looking on, they're inescapable. They're inescapable. You can't escape the gaze of God. You can't escape him watching and seeing. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He sees it all. He sees everything. When we think about the eyes of the Lord, maybe Deuteronomy 13, 18, come to mind, if, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all his commandments that I am commanding you today, doing what's right in the sight of the Lord your God, there's promises, right, of obedience to a God that's watching and he has expectations of living a right life. Well, for believers, we know this. Only Jesus lived a righteous, perfect life. And we are made right with God only because Jesus himself lived the perfect life we could never live. But as Christians, as we claim to be followers of Jesus, we follow in the footsteps of our righteous master. And God sees everything. And that he's looking for those that are doing right in his eyes. How about this? Number three, his eyes associated with attentiveness and even compassionate attentiveness. He sees all, but he's locked in on his own children specifically. He watches his kids attentively. First Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Don't you love that God sees everything? Because when you're hurting, when you're in need, when you feel like everybody has left you, abandoned you, that you're all alone, that you are despairing, that you are anxious, aren't you glad that there is a God that He sees me? He sees me. Even if nobody else does, He sees what's happening. He knows my need. Sometimes we think about God seeing and it's kind of a creeper. Why, why is He watching? And, and can I outrun Him? Can I hide from Him? But as God's people, we have a desire. I want God's eyes on me. I want him to see what's happening because he's my rescue. He's my help. And Peter is saying the face of the Lord around the righteous, listening to the pleas, the cries, the requests. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He sees the good and evil and he's attentive to his kids' needs. And there is a sense in which those that reject him, he allows them to do whatever they want as he's paying attention to his kids. But there's going to be a time when all attention is going to be on King Jesus in the end. How about this? Blessing. The eyes of the Lord, there is, there is blessing. Second Chronicles 16.9, for the eyes of the Lord. Here we go again. Here's this phrase. For the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support. Everybody say strong. He gives strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have done foolishly in this. For from now on, you will have wars. There was a, a call to live blameless before God. There is blessing for those that say yes to Him. And we see that there's consequences. There's battles. Literally, God's people, war, 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 right? And even today, there's consequences of God sees and there's blessing. I don't know about you, but every single year, we're going to have a New Year's resolution coming up in, in January. you got some time to prep. But thinking about year in review, I don't know how, how well you're doing this, this far, but just to take, take note over the past year of all the ways that God has blessed 
all the ways like god you are amazing you didn't have to there's no way i could have done this myself there's no way that i could have provided this you provided for me there's no way that i should be here some of us have stories of we shouldn't even be here like we shouldn't be alive we shouldn't be here today but god is blessing those that are turning to him and saying yes Yes, I will, I will follow. I want to live blameless in your eyes. There's blessing. How about this? Last one. When we think about the eyes of the Lord and God seeing everything, Noah always comes to mind. Genesis 6, 8. And then in Hebrews, we see it again. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor, favor. Uh, literally, there is grace, special grace towards those that God is watching and seeing and that in all the earth, God said, Noah, Noah, there is favor on you. There's grace upon you. And so let's just remember, when the waters rise, when the rivers rage, whatever you are going through, and there's a lot, right? I mean, just look around. Look around the room, okay? Y'all, there, there's people over here. If you're sitting on that side, there's, there's people. Yeah, there's a whole crew over here, right? Right? And guess what? I don't, I don't know if you looked over on the side. There's, there's a whole crew over here. If, if, if we think about the number of situations and the number of issues going on, the number of heartaches and disappointments, the number of problems we're facing, the things that we're about to go through, the unknown of the future, and we, we think about the eyes of the Lord, I, I hope we walk away this morning and consider God does see everything. I will not waver. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to live my life anymore making excuses as to how I can have my private life. And for some of us, we there's enough of us in here that like we're living a double life. We, we got one in private. We got our, when I'm with certain friends, when I'm with certain relatives, when I'm with certain people, I act one way. And then I got kind of my churchy thing going on and I speak Christianese or at least I'm adopting the language a little bit, right? Impressing my church friends that, that I can throw out some words, right? But, but as we look around, the number of things that, that maybe need to be confessed, God, you see that, you know. And I'm just going to get honest with you. I did that. And this was my heart and my motives. And it was wrong. And, and I need to stop with this double life. For some of us, we're going through suffering and we're not suffering well. We're suffering the way that the world suffers. That we're going through hard stuff and instead of going to God, we want to complain and we want to vent and we, we want to gossip and slander and attack and, and we want everybody else to know. And guess what? God sees and he already knows and he's saying, come to me. Come to me first. Come to me fast. Come to me not last. Come to me with what I already see and I already know. Whether it's the pain or whether it's the wandering and the straying. And I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And we're going we're gonna to land with this. Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. We're going to end with this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I, I just want us to, to have a, a, a walk away practical steps to think about this sobering area of temptation and trial temptation and trial and first corinthians 10 13 what what does god see he sees it all he knows it all and we don't have to carry the baggage anymore of going through and giving up or giving in any longer paul says this first corinthians 10 13 this could be your memory verse for the for the week for the month for the year okay ready everybody say ready no temptation or literally no temptation or no trial, the Greek word there could be either temptation or trial, no temptation or trial has overtaken you 
that is not common to man. It's common. It's common. God is faithful. Everybody say he's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation or with the trial, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Well, can we clarify? Temptation and trial. Temptation and trial. Again, we have multiple words for each. Here we have a word that could be either one. Well, let's clarify. If you're taking notes, temptation, what is temptation? Temptation would be a trap set by Satan for your destruction. Okay? Temptation, Satan. Trial, I don't know, I don't know if we think this way, but trial is test given by God for your good. Well, you know this trial I'm going through, it must be Satan. Don't attribute to Satan what God is actually taking you through. God tests us. He tests us. He tests us to pass, not to fail. But here we have no temptation or no trial. Whether it's Satan, whether it's God, neither have overtaken you, but what's common? It's common. Nobody, nobody has ever faced what I've gone through. Nobody has ever gone through this. Have you felt that way before? Like, nobody understands the struggle that I'm going through. I am utterly unique. I'm sorry to burst the bubble, snowflake, but it's common to everybody. What you're going through, it's not unique. It's not special. For thousands and thousands of years, Satan has been doing the same thing. And God has been testing in the same way. Even though you experience it differently and uniquely, it's not uncommon. All of us go through it. Maybe different flavor, different color, different temperature, different duration of time. But all of us, if we're followers of Jesus, tempted by Satan. All of us, if we're followers of Christ, tested by God. It's common. It's common. But here's the reality. There is a way out. There is a way of escape. I just can't and there's no way. And I've tried and I've failed. And God is either God's a liar or we're misled, right? Because God says there is a way of escape. There is a way out. And here's what I want to leave with us today. That God will not let you be tempted beyond your God-given capacity. And with the temptation or trial, God will always provide a way of escape. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So here's a few just to be able to take with you this week. What are some ways of escape? That God sees it. He knows the trial. He knows the temptation. He knows our natural response. Here, here's four. God provides a way out of temptation or the trial that he removes the trial. He removes the trial. So in these last four, could we just, can we have a moment of honesty? Because I think we need some encouragement that we're not alone. We're not alone. So if you've gone through a trial and you thought it's never going to end or the temptation was so intense and you're like, there's no way that I'm going to get through this on the other side victorious. Would you do this? Would you just like would you shoot up your hand if you can testify that I have gone through it and that God over time has released me from that trial and that I'm experiencing hope on the other side? Is that you? I mean, like, have you been through it? For some of us, we need to see that there are hands raised of you're in the thick of it and you don't think that there's going to be an end or that the trial's not going to be removed. And we're here to testify God has done it in our lives. He's done it again and again for some of us all the time. Every season that seems so much harder than before and that we see the trial, it, it, it's over now. I can breathe again, right? How about this? Number two, God gives wisdom to act. He gives wisdom. He gives answers. He gives clarity. Would you raise your hand if you've been in a situation where you're like, I don't have an answer. I don't have a way out. There is no hope. There is no help. 
I think I'm going to be stuck here forever and I have no idea what to do. And then God provides wisdom in some way. And all of a sudden, that's it. Would you raise your hand Would you, to be able to testify and say, I didn't have the wisdom, but the wisdom came. God gave the wisdom. People came along. God gave them wisdom. I was helped when I needed it the most. How about this one? As you think about ways of escape, God provides strength to persevere. God provides resources. He provides people to come alongside and that when you thought you were going to give up and that you couldn't continue, that in the moment where you were faltering, when you were wavering, when you didn't think that you could continue on and that you were done, that God provided exactly what you needed to be able to persevere even though the circumstances hadn't changed, that God provided what it took to keep going. Would you raise your hand and say, I was about to give up, but God allowed me, not for my circumstances to change, but I was able to keep going when I thought I would never be able to take another step. And for us to be able to testify, God did that for me. God did that for me. How about this one? God sends encouragement to endure. And I don't know if that's phone calls. I don't know if that's letters. I don't, I don't know if that is a, a conversation where you're sitting down and in your lowest point, in your point of weakness of I'm just going to give in a temptation or this trial is going to destroy me and I just don't care anymore. I'm done. I'm up and down and up and down and I'm just tapping out. I tried the God thing, tried the church thing, tried the Jesus thing and like I, I can't. Or I've been a Christian for a long time and now I'm, re- I'm so discouraged I'm ready to, to walk away. And God provided at that time a person, a situation where you were able to keep going because you had a helper and encourager. Did anybody show up? Any hands? Any hands? Be able to say, at the right time, God sent somebody and I kept going. I was able to endure because of God's people, because of godly. There are people in this room, there are people that are part of our church family that are going through things that maybe you're not aware of, that there are trials, there are temptations, there are struggles that God wants to use you to be able to enter in, to be able to speak up, to be able to come alongside. Would we be a church like that? That would be mindful, that would be prayerful, that would be eager and be intentional about speaking hope and speaking truth because for all you know, there's somebody in your row that is wavering, teetering, seesaw, up and down, back and forth, and they need someone like you to grab hold of them and say, we're not giving up. We're going to keep going. God has a plan. God's making a way. Do not give up. And if you have a name in mind that this week you would be so intentional about reaching out, following up, that God would use you to be an instrument of grace, of hope, of encouragement, 